I'm ready when you are. sunny clime where I used to spend my time, a servant of Her Majesty the Queen, of all them black-faced crew, the finest man I knew was our regimental bestie. That was the opening music to Gunga Dean. We were having a discussion here just before we started about, is it Gunga Din or Gunga Dean? But I think it's Gunga Dean. Yeah. Based on the last the last couple scenes of the movie where they're talking about uh, one of the characters. So I think you're right. I think I've been mispronouncing it for the last 45 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and probably a lot of people. Other than that. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> uh. Uh, and you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on uh, Facebook. Search for ClassicMovieReviews.net. And in iTunes, you can find us by searching for Classic Movie Reviews. And on the internet, just type in ClassicMovieReviews.net, and you'll find us there. And this is episode 103. And I'm Matt Johnson coming to you from North Bend. And Bob Johnson saying hello from Los Angeles, welcoming everybody back to Classic Movie Reviews and this podcast summary of Gunga Dean from 1939 from RKO Pictures. What a production. They did. They went all out. Holy smokes. <clears throat> yeah. I, I was not disappointed with the... Uh, production values and the just the number of people holy cow i know that the last uh, that last battle that took place at the temple they were running all over the place i i uh i remember reading that uh this the director george stevens said he wanted to have improvised chaos and i think he succeeded I think he achieved it <laughs> yeah well the pictures and the books and on the website don't uh, don't do it justice for how big it looks on the screen when you're watching it. Imagine that today in the biggest uh, film version or digital version possible and in vivid color. Yeah, that'd be something Ooh. else. That'd be cool. It'd be all it, all those people would be digital though. The whole thing would be digital. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it w- it would be done in someone's gigantic computer. Mm-hmm. So. Um, should we introduce ourselves? Oh, I think, well, I introduced myself. Did you introduce yourself? Oh, I mean, where to find... <laughs> uh. <laughs> Boy, this... And I did that part, I did that part too. Right, we're on a roll this oh morning. Oh my gosh, okay, well, anything. I need another cup of coffee. Did we give our website and all that? Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, we did. My name, oh, my my name is Bob. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I wasn't even out uh. late. Hey, I just want to say that my kids think that you have the perfect grandpa name, Grandpa Bob. They just think that's the best. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> as long as they don't think of me in the in the context of what about Bob in that movie. Oh, no, I think it's more like Grandpa Bob. Yeah, the, it rhymes, doesn't it? The, it does. Yeah, it has a nice ring to it. So now that we're back on track, I hope. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the movie and how much money it made and that kind of thing? Well, uh, let's see. It was made by RKO. Uh, at that time, RKO Pictures was <clears throat> one of the top five uh, movie studios in Hollywood. <clears throat> and, uh, boy, they put a lot of time and effort into this. Director George Stevens did a masterful job. The number of movies that he did is well over 50 including Shane. Remember we reviewed Shane from 1953? Yep. Uh, he won two, let's see, he won two Academy Awards for Best Director. 
He directed A Place in the Sun, 1951, Giant, 1956, and a, a truly sad uh, but well-done movie, Diary of Anne Frank, from 1959. And the uh, scriptwriter, Ben Hecht, Hecht, Ben Hecht, had, uh, I think, done over, in his career, did, did over 70 screenplays, and what a, what a wonderful job on this one. Well, RKO had a big budget for 1938. It was like a $2 million budget, which today I don't, I didn't do the calculation, but that would be probably 40 or 50 million. And boy, did they bring the life to life the story. And it meant so much more to me having been up to uh, Lone Pine and the Alabama Hills. And, and then I was, I was watching the movie and I'm thinking, oh yeah, that's where we were. Oh yeah, that's where they're going to have the concert in the in the rocks in June. You know where the temple was? Oh yeah, that's, yeah. I think that's the site for their big concert where they have eight or nine hundred people. Do you know if they built that temple for the? It movie? It was built for the movie. They, yeah, there's nothing there now. Geez. It's it's just the open land. In fact, mm. the only remnants I think of the film being made there, other than all the maps and books about it. There's a really nicely done marker at the site where they had that final big battle. Mm. And I think I sent you a photo of that one. So the movie was hugely popular, made in 1938, and it was released on February 17th in 1939. It was both in English and Hindi when it was done. And what? Oh, they released it in Hindi. Well, I don't know if it was released in Hindi or part of it was spoken in the film. I think probably both. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I know they spoke. They spoke it during the battle scenes, or kind of leading up to that. And every one of those locations, the the uh, main camp fortress that the British soldiers were in, the temple, that village where they had their first big battle with the uh, terrorist rebels. That was all constructed oh, yeah. for the movie. It's it's not. And that was interesting how they they jumped off the cliff into the river, but that was all just a matte painting because there was no river. There. <laughs> no, there's no river like that anywhere near Lone Pine. I thought maybe they had moved it to another place, but um, did extremely well. Um, so that's kind of some of the background, without getting into all of the uh, cast of. Did you uh, millions or thousands did you did you what was your what was your experience watching it after having visited all those places like did that add to it for you or did it take away it from it for you or it really added to the enjoyment of watching the film yeah it was it it made it that much more interesting and i could kind of say see in my mind the different places because we visited maybe four or five of the locations for that film so it added to the. Uh, I kind of wish that I'd, I. I kind of wish I'd watched it before I knew about all the background of the where they filmed it because I kept thinking, well, that's just in Lone Pine. That's just out down in there in Southern California. Like you know, I, <laughs> I, I kept getting. I, I could not think of it as being like in India somewhere. I, I I'm afraid I go through that myself. I know we're gonna the next podcast we do is gonna be of Dan Durier and the Bamboo Saucer, and. <laughs> it was filmed in some of the same locations as Gunga Dean was filmed and many others. It's so it, it's it's a bit distracting because there's so many movies that were made there. Well, our friends went to uh, Utah on a trip, and they went to Kanab, which is another big movie site in southern Utah where they've done over 200 movies. So they brought back a bunch of material. So between the two, we've got... You know, so many locations, we'll be able to identify every place in Utah and Southern California <laughs> yeah. in films. Yeah. But I, 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 I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it made it better because I, and a lot of people, when it came out, thought that it was actually filmed in uh, northern India. Yeah, well, why wouldn't yeah. they? It looked, I mean, it looked like it could be, could be in a remote location like that. Um, it's, yeah. it, it's kind of like, um, I'm not really up to speed on all the movies that were made in the 20s and 30s on the scale of this. There was one, Wings, I think from 1920, I forget the date. 
and the first uh, Ten Commandments movie. But this one seemed like a forerunner, kind of ahead of its time for this huge scale, hundreds well, and hundreds about the, of extras. The, the silent, the silent film that we reviewed was it Aladdin? Yeah, um, it, that didn't. Yeah, it, that was, but it just didn't seem like I, like it had the scope and size of this one. I, I was yeah. just amazed at the, the battle scenes, the two big ones, the big productions numbers, at at I how think well because it was they were done. actually on lo- they were actually on location, and it really felt like they, you know, for me, I, I, I think during the battle scenes, I got so swept up in it, I was like, oh yeah, they're really you know having this big battle in India. And it kind of felt like that as you're watching it because it just looks so real. I just can't imagine what it took to put that together because I'm sure they didn't rehearse that. And at least that second battle scene, I can't imagine they rehearsed that. That probably was a one-shot deal. Yeah, there's some battle scenes in the film. My father referred to it as cavalry scale improvisation where they would spend days and days and days shooting that great battle on the roof ending with the three men diving off into the river yeah they probably sort of had the general idea of like okay this this group of people are going to go here and this group are going to go here i bet it was a nightmare trying to make sure that nobody got really seriously injured you know like oh. I bet the insurance the, the insurance companies were probably having a heart attack <laughs> uh so was the studio i was reading where uh the uh, producer, and I've lost track of his name now, but anyway, the cost, the budget had, had kind of gone way beyond what they had thought it would be. And uh, Oh, it was in one of the uh, after-show uh, summaries on the DVD. They talked about oh, okay. how the, the uh, chief producer went up to Lone Pine and was going to meet with George Stevens, and they just had, to, they had one more week. They were going to do one more week, and then they had to wrap it up, and it worked out fine, but... Because they were figuring this out as they went along, this uh, picture was getting more and more behind schedule. And all of a sudden I found out that a location up at Lone Pine uh, had run 20 days over a 10-day schedule. So on the 30th day, I decided to go up and talk to George about it, determined to do something. Had to. We were running out of money. I went up there on Saturday afternoon because we shot six days then. And when I got up there around 4 or 5 o'clock, I saw George up on top of the roofs shooting a very fine action scene with the boys. And I waved to him, and he waved back to me. So time passed. I chatted with some of the fellows, and uh, George didn't come around. Uh, So apparently he climbed down off the parallel, got in his car, and drove off. Finally, I said to somebody, where's George? He said, oh, didn't you know? He was supposed to... uh, meet somebody in town and he left he said he was sorry he didn't have time to talk to you he didn't want to see me at all so I said there must be some way I can fool him and there was and I was waiting for him at 5.30 Monday morning when he got back and I said look you've got X number of days up here on location with this enormous crowd and if you don't finish by then George you're just going to have to come home without the rest of the stuff. Well, he finished by that. Just the cost. There's a lot of cost that shows up on the screen. Mm-hmm. 900 extras is what Kathleen told us. Well, you said it's a is a, it's a two-hour or four-hour drive to uh, f- there from Los Angeles? Four hours. Four hours. So four hours to get up there with all that equipment. And they had those elephants that they brought up, too. I know. And wasn't that something the... Uh, the scene with the bridge, that bridge that looked like it was going to collapse, and then it finally did. That was like, <laughs> that was like <laughs> ten or fifteen feet off the ground. But in the in the movie, it looks like it's hundreds of feet above this big valley. It's. I like that know. scene a lot. That was that was fun, <laughs> and I like I like the overacting that Cary Grant was doing in that scene. <laughs> yes, he. Or when he was in the temple and started singing with all those terrorists. Sing mighty roast is and Englishmen folded a kind full of freedom that runs in his blood. For generous living to step to all good. Excuse me, mates. 
so young in that movie i was i was looking up he was born in 1904 so he would have been 30 well he would have been in his mid-30s but he looked a lot younger than that he did he did and 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 uh i've never uh, he made some movies that were kind of like that later in terms of his acting bringing up baby and some others but i think this was this was kind of his breakout role if i'm not mistaken yeah, I mean, he was like a real good action hero in this movie. I thought, like, kind of had a kind of had a, a Han Solo kind of Indiana Jones oh, feel to him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, did you see the? Uh, I can't remember the photographs. I think they were in that book on uh, the movie. Um, the tents, the number of tents that were there. It was like a military camp, just for the production crew and. Oh yeah, it was like it was a full out. Oh, yeah, word. it could have been a military camp. Absolutely. The people in Lone Pine, everybody that lived there was in the movie. <laughs> I swear. So the yeah. the uh, cast uh, was marvelous. Cary uh, Grant, or his real name Archibald Leach. I can see why he might have changed his name. Uh, my favorite. I think well. I think my favorite of all the Cary Grant movies is North by Northwest from 1959. We may have to. Oh, I think that's coming up soon. We got to watch uh, yeah, that one. Yeah, really, Alfred Hitchcock. We're, we've been remiss in not re- reviewing that one yet. That's maybe after the Bamboo Saucer. We'll need we'll need a really good movie. He's chased all the way across the country in the UN, the Chicago fields in Indiana, and the Mount Rushmore. The guy was in yeah. in the same suit. Yeah, that's a lot of mileage on in one suit. Victor McLaughlin, you know his life. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to read about his life, it's it's amazing. He was in the military. He's in the British military. He lived in Canada. He was a boxer. He fought an exhibition box a boxing match against the world champion Jack Johnson. Oh a six gosh. rounds. Uh, had a long career. Won an Academy Award for Best Actor for uh, 1935, The Informer. He was really kind of the the main sort of anchor in this film, I thought. Oh, for sure. Like, for sure. I was going to say that. He, he definitely was the best part of the movie for me. Just He, he just filled the screen whenever he was on no it. No kidding. And that laugh that he had, that's that, like, Cheshire grin that he had. And he's so big. I think he was six foot five or something like that, six four. And yeah. then Joan Fontaine, who had a wonderful career yep. for many, many decades Won an Academy Award for Suspicion in 1941, and her sister Olivia De Havilland had an equally big career in film. And then Douglas Fairbanks Jr., who looked like he'd stepped out of a gentleman's quarterly wardrobe. Yeah, costume. he's he's so handsome. Yeah, and and yet during World War II he was a highly decorated naval officer. He he fought in huh. the Pacific. He was. I think he was assigned to Lord Mountbatten for a while. He retired from the Naval Reserve in the mid-50s with the rank of captain. Huh. And, and to me, I look at him, I think, man, this guy, even when he was 85, looked really handsome. But anyway. One thing I noticed, too, is like the, the hairstyles and the clothing styles were... They didn't seem that dissimilar from today, like the like the haircuts on them. Like, I thought... He could just be walking down the street today and look just as dashing oh, and my. debonair as, as he did then. No kidding. So it, it's just packed with all good stuff, and it made a lot of money. I mean, the studio was happy. And then, gosh, a couple of years later, they came out with Citizen Kane. RKO came out with Citizen Kane. Oh, which yeah. Which didn't do as well financially, but is considered by many folk the best uh, film ever made. So, where to begin with this story, huh? Makes you want to go well, back wanna, in time and visit their camp. Yeah, I wanted to mention one other uh, actor, um, but I got to get back to the page I was on. Hang on just a second. Um, 
Robert Coote as Higginbotham? <laughs> yes, yes. Is he the one who said to Cary Grant, let that man go? He was the one who was going to replace Cary Grant, but then they fed it, they gave him that drink that had that medicine, <laughs> yeah. quote-unquote medicine in it. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, Tommy, you know we have Sergeant Higginbotham to thank for your being got out of the expedition. That's right, that's right. The colonel says I'm the only man sharp enough to replace Sergeant Ballantyne. That's very flattering. Oh, all right. I'm glad to be of some help in, uh, shall we say, uh, Cupid's service. One thing I can promise you with Cutter and McChesney about, you won't have one dull moment. Oh, I've got a feeling they don't like me very much. Well, it's just as well. The army's no place for sentiment, I says. That's right. <clears throat> uh, excuse me, I've got a pebble in me left boot. Hey, hello, Higginbottom. Oh. How'd you like to come with me, eh? What? Yeah. I, uh, I'd like to discuss a few of my military theories with you. Oh, well, I'd like to have a little chat. Get to know each other better, so to speak. Hmm. How about stepping in here for a bit of a drink, eh, Bert? Oh, well, I wouldn't mind a step to thanks, guys. Right. Hey, where's Ballantyne? Never mind that civilian. I got Bertie Higginbottom, his replacement. Bertie has got a thirst just like a derby winner, haven't you, Bert? Oh, <laughs> we can look after that Bert, old boy. Hey, take a plunge into this here punch. Punch? Oh, I thought you'd better drink. That's just a drummer boy's no lady. Oh, no, not that stuff, Bert. Oh. That would knock an horse down, that would. Swill that down, you Bertie, me boy. And you'll think all the thugs in India is a bunch of missionaries. Yeah. Right. That's right, Bert. Anything. That uh, punch takes a lot. It's all right. Well, well, how about having another drink, eh? Have a drink to the uh, new comradeship, you know, Mac and you and me and the regiment forever. That's a stuff. Dad, boy. Boy. That's it, Bertie, my boy. That's a very good idea. I'll drink to that, mate. All right. <laughs> Go on, get him back. <laughs> yeah. That's Here's right. a good old buddy again, Bottom. That's right. The finest soldier since William the Blowman Conqueror. <laughs> He reminded me of Lionel Jeffries, who was in one of my favorite movies, The First Men in the Moon. And he was also in one of those uh, murder mystery movies that we watched. Um, well, one of the Ag- but, Agatha Christie ones? Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I liked his character. He's funny. And his name is, is wonderful. Bertie Higginbotham. And I, and I think when one of the scenes in the early part of the film where there are three are three musketeers, if you will, are having a, a fist fight on the second floor of this place, and Cary Grant is holding one of the people out of the window. Oh yeah! And Bertie yeah. says to him, "Let let go of that man." And he does, and the guy falls <laughs> two floors. I know. And that Grant yeah, looks at him like broke his neck. I did what you said. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There are a lot of. As we haven't even mentioned Sam Jaffe as Gunga oh, right. Dean. Yeah. I guess his casting when they first did it was quite a surprise because people thought, really? He's going to play this role? Oh, he plays the professor from The Day the Earth Stood Still. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. And then he was on television for a long time as uh, one of the main doctors on Ben Casey back in the 60s. He had great hair. Yeah, in in uh, the day the Earth stood still and the Ben Casey, but he he was also in a lot of other films. He, uh, oh yeah, he was in a ton of films. And he could play almost any part, probably. I found it a little bit distracting though. With the uh, he was he was all right. Like his character, I was kind of okay with. But uh, the Guru, played by Eduardo Cianelli. Oh yeah, that was a little bit a little bit hard to watch, yes. just because you know it was obviously. Caucasian guy playing this Indian guru, and he even—I even, I even th- feel like he let his English accent slip a few times. <laughs> Why, you Ellis dog? Look what you did to that man's back, you filthy! Lesson in the error of false pride, Sergeant. You're talking very proudly yourself. Perhaps, though, you're not too proud to give a little information I seek. 
I want to know about your army. Why don't you enlist, mate? Beginning, this is not bad, Chota. Three soldiers to be given to Madakali. Three soldiers and a slave. Who is slave? I am a soldier too, please. You're what? Well, regimental beastie. Oh. Proud ox. Where is your army? How soon are they to follow? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? Uh, why don't you look in your crystal ball? <laughs> Make the ox talk. <laughs> it's so hard, you know, in, in the context of 2018 to look back to 1938 and see how the casting was done on these films. Because you could imagine today what they would do is bring people from every one of those diverse backgrounds onto the screen. Or would they? Because there's this whole controversy about whitewashing, like Asian films, and, I know. Uh, and you know. So, like, I think it still goes on today. I just think that they wouldn't have painted his face brown. <laughs> I read know? some of that about but, the uh, film, The Great Wall, and the co- The Great Wall the co- and Ghost in the Shell, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. there's yeah, there's just a bunch of them. But, they had some great uh, names though for the actors. Uh, Montague Love. Yeah. As Colonel Weed. <laughs> Hi, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm I'm Montague Love. I mean, <laughs> is that his real name? Like, I don't know. I, I didn't look that up. So, uh, oh, it is his own Montague Love. Certainly an intriguing name, but his own. <laughs> oh my God! His mom and dad said, "Let's let's call our little Joy Montague." Montague. Yeah. Uh, so the film is basically pretty straightforward. They're out to uh, the the British soldiers and the uh, Indian soldiers that are assigned there are on a hunt for the return of a terrorist group that had been kind of quiet for many decades. And they were reappearing and I guess they were massacring all kinds of people and disrupting the communications lines and all kinds of things. So our intrepid trio are enlisted to go out and repair the telegraph line. Or so they thought. But they don't know, but they but they don't know that it's this uh, terrorist. No, no, they, they haven't yet. With. They haven't yet discovered. And I that. think we should we should talk about you know are they really a terrorist group or are they more of a liberating force because yes. they are being occupied by the British. That's true. <laughs> so. That's true. It it reminded me a little bit about some of the back story on the Black Narcissus. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, but the first battle in that town they went to, and I that was so large scale that wasn't even the biggest part of the production that came later but i mean it, that was just the warm-up that was the battle. warm-up battle yeah but in many films <laughs> that would have been the conclusion oh my yeah. goodness sake and the fist fighting the style of fist fighting they did was so different than in movies today oh, I, I know i thought it was <laughs> that it was funny i had to laugh yeah it's come along in a lot of ways the movies have gotten so much better but the script for this i thought was really the screenplay i thought was really well Done. I mean, it was the continuity and all was excellent. And to watch them at their main camp, where they were parading <laughs> on the parade grounds. Oh my! Oh, yeah, goodness. The, the interaction of the three main characters was great. Like they had great, uh, <laughs> great lines and back and forth. The two of them don't believe that our hero Douglas Fairbanks Jr. is going to marry Joan Fontaine, and when he walks out with the other two, and he's trailing behind him the uh, the curtain or whatever, that cloth. What's this, Sergeant? Buying a trousseau? We're buying curtains. Oh, I thought it was for underpants, the kind civilians wear in the tea business. Will you two leave and stop annoying Tommy? I'd like to oblige you, miss, but we're marching off to Tandapur in 20 minutes, and Tommy's marching with us. But Higginbottom's replacing him. The colonel said that... Higginbottom's in hospital, miss. Uh, I, uh, I grieve to say, miss, that the man is a tower of pain. Mm-hmm. Something he must have had. Or drank. Sergeant Ballantyne, pull it! Oh, Tommy. It's the colonel's orders, miss. Tommy, these, these friends of yours have engineered this behind your back. Don't cry, darling. <laughs> Goodbye. This is the 9th of May. I'm going with you, Mac, for five days, and good company I'll be. 
But at sunset on May the 14th, when my time is up, whatever we are, whatever we're doing, I'm going to knock you two apes' heads together. Now, come on. Pardon me, madam. Pull in. Petticoat showing. <laughs> it's just, it's just it, it must have been one of the first buddy movies. I, I don't know if it was the first one, but boy, they were having it. They looked like they were having a really good time. It did. Yeah, I bet they were, too, out there in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> in their tents. I'm sure it was uh, in their tents. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure, though, the main cast stayed at the uh, Dow Hotel. They were probably not oh, yeah, out in those it. tents. In town, yeah, yeah. Which was pretty small. And, diff- you know, those days that was a two-lane highway. So it might have right. taken five or six hours to get up there. Well, and, I, and and the way that they act about being in this battle or, you know, it, Cary Grant's character for sure doesn't ever really take it that seriously. To no. him, I feel like it's just an adventure the whole time. It's almost like watching some of those expendable movies that, cur- that come out now with Sylvester Stallone oh, yeah. and the cast of... Many of the action heroes, they, they kind of look like even when they're battling and firing off their shotguns and machine guns, ha ha, this is so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Really? And I never really, I never really felt like they were ever in like serious danger, you know, because it, it never was, it never got to that point where you're like, oh my God, are they going to survive or not? You know, you always knew that they were going to get out of it somewhere or another. It was more, the fun of it was just more like, how are they going to figure out how to get out of this situation? Well, the, there was one scene where I thought Cary Grant was not going to make it. And that was near the end when he had been wounded seriously and he's laying next to Gunga Dean. Oh, I yeah. wasn't sure he, he was going to make it, but. He did pull through. I just noticed they gave him the first name of Archibald in the movie. That was his real name in real life. Oh. Sergeant, Sergeant Archibald Cutter. Oh, that's funny. I, I just, I, I should. They all, I think they only ever called him Cutter, though. Yeah, they did. They did, I think. Well, needless to say, yeah. there were many battles, some romance. So, so I wasn't, I, I think I missed the part, like, that kind of kicks off the main plot of the story where they they're trying to get their friend Valentine to not de- you know, not leave the army because he's going to marry Emmy, yeah. who's played by Joan, Joan Fontaine. Emmy Stebbins. And part of, part of that intrigue is that uh, Higgith, Higginbotham is going to be his replacement. And they really, really don't want Higginbotham to be like the third wheel of their, their tr- trio there. Okay. He didn't fit. So, so they 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 got him like drunk or like high or whatever on that stuff that they fed the elephant to make the elephant feel better. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten about that scene where yeah. Victor McLaughlin is cajoling <laughs> the elephant into taking his medicine. Yeah, that was that was hilarious. Oh, yeah, drank some of it. I forget the elephant's name, but and McLaughlin took a little sip of it. Oh, that was pretty funny. Except when you think about well, how were the elephants being treated in real life? It's not yeah, quite that, so funny. Yeah, that wasn't not so funny. But why did why did uh, Cary Grant's character Cutter end up in the brig? Like I I've missed the reason why he they got in a fight. Like McChesney and oh. Cutter got in a fight, and then Cutter got put into the brig, and then and then Gunga Dean got him out by knocking down the whole the whole jail. <laughs> With the elephant? Oh, I'm, I'm, yeah. Oh. I don't know. I might have to go back and watch that part because I kind of missed what happened there. And then, and then, so then uh, Gunga Dean is like, well, I know where there's a whole tower worth of gold. And Cutter gets this look on his face. It's like, you got to get me out of here. We got to go get this gold. I, I just found what I was, with your question, yeah. Cutter is determined to make his fortune. He's always looking for gold and wealth. Okay. But McChesney, who's Victor McLaughlin's character, will have none of it and has Cutter put in the stockade to prevent his desertion. Oh, so the whole away. thing, okay. Uh, okay, so he that was all kind of like him trying to go off and find gold and his yeah. fortune. Yeah, okay. and then Gunga Dean, I think, enlists the elephant to tear the whole thing down. And you remember when uh, Cary Grant and Gunga Dean were going through the the British salute 
stuff at, at the yes, site, uh-huh. at the side uh-huh. of the building, and and uh, Grant was kind of patronizing him with, oh, that was an excellent job. Apparently, they filmed that, and they hadn't yet decided what they were going to do in the next part of the filming because all these people were out in front trying to get organized to sh- so they could set up like a military uh, parade or or uh, function. I guess, in other words, they they sort of ad libbed that whole scene to fill in while they were getting ready for the next scene. But it, but that's such an important scene. I know. It sets up like it, that's crazy that they kind of ad libbed that because I feel like that's a key scene in the whole movie that brings it together at the end. Like that, if they hadn't had that scene, I feel like it, it wouldn't, wouldn't have, have been worked. as good of a movie. Apparently, there was a lot of that uh, improv improv improvisation going on, and and hmm. it's like in Casablanca where they sometimes didn't get the script for that day's shooting until that morning. And it turned out to Jeez. be one of the best films ever. I don't know what that says That's about crazy. planning ahead. Yeah, well, it came together at the end. I guess it, I guess you need a really good director who can pull it all together. Oh, he was outstanding. I I had a chance to watch the things that came with the film when I, when I got it from Netflix. And I believe it was one of those behind-the-scenes stories that talked about the improvisation that George Stevens was totally comfortable with the studio, not so much because it got to be fairly expensive. But yeah, I, uh, I, I, I agree with you. Without that, it wouldn't have worked at the end as well. Because it just it just sets up how much Gunga Dean wants to be in the army yeah. and how he's he, how he's kind of been practicing behind the scenes and and and, and there's that secondary yeah. citizen role in in how Gunga Dean is viewed by many people. You know, they don't feel he'll ever make it in the army because he's a native Indian. Oh, totally. You know, so they're, they're, that subtext is is a little bit off-putting to me, given today. Like I feel like this movie, if you just turned it slightly and had a slightly different tone, could be a completely different movie about the occupation of India by the British and how the India. Uh, the Indian people were kind of fighting back, I, but the way that they set up the film, it's kind of more like, a, like you said, like a three musketeers kind of buddy movie, yeah. you know, and, and you don't think about it as much. It kind of just is glossed over. I, I, I imagine that if it were done today, it would have that sort of turn to it. Although there was that speech by the guru kind of near the end when he's, I think it, they were on top of the, um, it was after they kind of captured the guru and oh, they were on top of the tower. Yeah, they were up on the temple roof, yeah. And and he talks about how you're willing, you're, you feel like you're part of the British, you're, you feel like you're an English citizen. I'm not going to get this right, but I'll put a quote in from the movie. But And that you're willing to die for the British. And I, I feel the same way about <clears throat> India, and I'm willing to die for India. Wait a minute. You have sworn as soldiers need be to die for your faith, which is your country, your England. Well, India is my country and my faith, and I can die for my faith and my country as readily as you for yours. Go, children. India, farewell. And I thought that was a really uh, great line that does does get to that idea about like what's really going on here, you know? Yes, that's that, that's very true. And I remember that because it, it it was a little different than a lot of the rest of the story. But I do think today, this given twenty eighteen, it would be so. I have a, I have like a I have I have what's called some headcanon. Oh, uh, of Excellent. of of. Of the guru, so so so. How does this sit with you? He actually was a British citizen who was uh, kidnapped as a small child and and brought up uh, as an in, a native Indian, and uh, is now uh, fighting for uh, Indian independence. But that explains why he looks so Caucasian, and that he. He, as part of his disguise, like almost like a superhero movie, he's like painted himself brown so that he kind of fits in more. So that's my headcanon for explaining how he looks in the film and how he sometimes speaks with a British accent. Perfect. <laughs> there were a lot of those uh, kinds of movies. There's one um, 
Is that actually a backstory or is that? No, I made that up in my head. (laughs) In the movie Ombre with Paul Newman, he plays, uh, he was, he's a, a European or partially European. He was raised as an Apache. So the backstory is how can Paul Newman be an Apache? You know, and that's the backstory that he was, his mother was a member of the tribe or he was raised by the Apaches. So there's a lot of those kinds of films where they sort of make the story fit the person they want to have in the, uh, in the role. Dances with Wolves was kind of like yeah, that. Dan- yeah. And it's called Head Cannon. Yeah, where you, you kind of explain away some of the <laughs> weird, like some of the weirdness of the movie or the TV show by just making up a backstory that kind of explains it away. And then, yeah, it's called Head Cannon. Uh, we, could, we could probably do that with many of the films we've done. You oh, know? yeah. I think it would be a fun, a fun little exercise. Yeah. Uh, I just found another piece of trivia that originally uh, Howard Hawks was signed on to be the director for this film. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, but after he put together the movie B- Bringing Up Baby, which was a failure at the box office, they uh, decided to use George Stevens instead. I love these backstories. I mean, I, if assuming they're true. Bringing Up bringing up Baby, why does... we Didn't we review that uh, one? No, I don't think so. That's another Cary Grant movie where he... I think it's with Catherine Hepburn. We ha- I don't believe we've done that. Oh, yeah, we haven't done that one. Okay. Also released in 1938. Yeah, I was thinking it was a little later. But... Didn't they remake that movie? I feel like they remade that movie. Oh, uh, they Baby. Made... Sounds so familiar. With, uh, with uh, Steve Martin. Maybe I'm thinking oh, of Oh, I think you're one. thinking of uh, The Wedding. Uh, uh, boy, this is a... You're thinking of the movie where he's the dad and the daughter's getting married. I think. Oh, yeah, maybe. Anyway... <laughs> we can't remember we gotta, a thing this morning. I, I, I'm just glad I'm here at the microphone. <laughs> One thing I wanted to mention about uh, George Stevens that I overlooked, um, he was very active in World War II with a motion picture film unit. Went all across Europe filming the actual war oh, effort. Really? And his son, George Stevens Jr., did a documentary in 1984 a filmmaker's journey, and there's some really excellent story, backstory items there on on Mr. Stevens' life and how the war changed the way he made films because after the war, his films were much more serious, like The Diary of Anne Frank and uh, even Shane and and, uh, others. Giant Giant has some... um, background race issues in it with his with the uh, treatment of hispanics oh yeah we should so watch uh, a, we should do that one too the war yeah. i think had an effect on the way people view, many people viewed filmmaking well, that sounds very philosophical but anyway um <laughs> so a good movie yeah so good battle scenes production so. i've been to all those locations i didn't see anything like that at all it's very it's very rural and beautiful well, they got great special effects too, like the matte paintings for the bridge, and then when they jump off the cliff, I thought that was really well done. And it reminded me of how much I love movies of this era with some of those matte paintings. Like one of my favorite scenes of all times is in the original King Kong, when they arrive at the island and they're looking out over the water and they see the island in the background, and that was all a matte oh, painting, and it's just it, so well done. Some of those, I mean. Uh, I marvel at how beautiful they are and how real they look. For sure. So I gave this film a nine. I was thinking eight or nine, but I came in with a nine because I just identified with it so much now that I've been up there and seen all these locations. So I must admit I'm not not totally objective in it, but um, I think it's excellent. I was probably going to give it a seven or an eight, and 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 when I was watching it, I was thinking, oh, this is probably a seven for me, until the last thirty minutes, and then it got like a lot better for me. The last thirty minutes of the movie, especially the ending uh, where the they have, they're having those burial scenes, and, yes. and then that speech, yes. the speech that the that the cat is it. I'm not sure. I think that was Colonel? I think that was Montague Love, wasn't it? 
Yeah, Colonel Weed gives about Gunga Dean, and uh, he reads a poem that. Uh, oh yeah, that's uh, Rudyard Kipling had written, and I I know that the real Rudyard Kipling wasn't in the movie, but his you know he, his character was in the movie. According to regulations, he had no actual status as a soldier, but those of us who had the privilege of serving with him today know that if ever a man deserved the name and rank of soldier, it was he. So I'm going to appoint him a corporal in this regiment. His name will be written on the rolls of our honored dead. And I... Let me see that last part again, will you, Mr. Kipling? Double drill and no canteen. He'll be squatting on the coals, giving drink to poor damned souls. And I'll get a swig in hell from Gunkadeen. Yes, Dean. Dean, Dean. Your Lazarusian leather, Gunkadeen. Though I belted and flayed by the living God that made you. You're a better man than I am, Ganga Dean. And I thought, wow. And so between that ending speech and then the speech by the guru talking about his love of his country, I, I bumped it up to a nine for me. Like mm -hmm. it really came came through in the end for me. <laughs> so we're at about the same place. That that poem um, is, is beautiful. I remember reading that in high school and having mm -hmm. no context other than, you know, it was an assignment that we had and we had to analyze it. And then you can yeah. imagine a 16-year-old analysis of that poem was <laughs> somewhat, on the, <laughs> somewhat on the weak side. But it's a beautiful poem. It really is. I, I'm reading it right now. I'm looking at it on the, the information I put together. So we we think it's an excellent movie. And I tell you, the, uh, the surrounding locations, I've never been to northern India, but there are a lot of people that have said it really reminds them of that area. George took a lot of trouble, as I'm sure you know, and everybody else over selecting locations and had experts with him. And uh, we had everything technically as correct as possible. We had a former judge from India come down from Canada to advise us on all the procedures and military advisors and so forth. And he wanted to get the locations absolutely right, and he went to great trouble and, and actually did. Well, in my subsequent travels around the world, happened more than once that I've come up against Indian friends so oh I know that very well I've been there I used to spend my holidays right up there right there in the uh, Khyber Pass right in the northwest frontier I said oh no you said it was in oh you cannot fool me I know it very well I know it very well oh you can get away with anything in the movies I know about that I said no we did get away with it <laughs> and we're going to go back to that area yes. oh for I can hardly wait the bamboo saucer bamboo saucer from yeah. 1968 Dan Duryea's final film. It's 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 definitely got some things going for it that I that I liked, and I think that's why I wanted to review it because, uh, uh, yeah, it's kind of a unique premise for a movie. It, it really is, and John Erickson was the brother uh, in Bad Day at Black Rock. He managed and ran the hotel. He's in he's oh, in yeah. the film, and. Uh, the woman and you were saying you were saying before we started recording that this uh, this movie stumped your friend John. Yes, he had not he'd never heard of it. I said I've got one for you. I call him every Thursday. I got one for you, and I gave him the name. And I said, and your your actor friend Dan Duryea is. And he said, No, I have no knowledge of that. <laughs> and then he he got his friend to look it up for him because he can't use a computer now. And sure enough, he found it. So he ordered it. 
So, so he <laughs> says to me, I know you've watched it, but you'll be watching it again. <laughs> so, it's, I feel really honored when I'm able to stump him because he, he's got such a knowledge of well, he's, you've added another movie to his uh, repertoire, thousands of movie collection. Yeah, that's that's impressive. I often ask myself, what's going to happen to that collection in the future? Oh my gosh! Wow, it's like a treasure. Well, something needs something good needs to happen to it because it, it can't just like disappear. Go you know. disappear. Yeah, his daughter's pretty pretty much in tune with that. So that's good. Uh, well. Anyway, All right. Well, I think that's our review for the day and. For the most part, we remembered what we were doing. Yeah, yeah, we're we're all right. We're not totally out of it this morning. My takeaway from the whole morning <laughs> is that the grandkids like Grandpa Bob. Yeah, they love they love Grandpa Bob. Uh, I love them. I was looking forward <laughs> to seeing them all. Yeah, you're going to be here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so. yeah, be fun. Big graduation. We should try to record a podcast live together. Oh, okay. I'll bring everything with me. Maybe not my uh, microphone because it's well, you, bigger. Than... You don't have to bring. You don't have to bring anything. We can just do it on my oh, that, yeah. setup here. <laughs> we, we've done that before. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we can get. Uh, maybe we can get Haley to join us again, or uh, somebody else. We'll see. Or the whole group. <laughs> well, that's a tall order. <laughs> Given their schedules, it would be. With four of them, yeah, four teenagers. Well, older than yeah. teenagers for some of them. All right. All right. Well, we should wrap okay. it up. Uh, that was uh, that was Gunga Dean, and uh, this is Matt Johnson coming to you from North Bend, and Bob Johnson from Los Angeles, wishing everyone happy movie watching. Okay, now we can't forget to hit stop on our record button. Mm-hmm.